Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and in today's episode, I interview Jared Egan the Head of Athletic Performance and Development Director of Athletics at Sydney Grammar School. Jared has also worked in the Port Adelaide Football Club as a Senior Assistant Fitness Coach and Adelaide Football Club as a Strength and Conditioning Coach. He is an experienced business owner and sports performance coach, skilled in sports science, athletic training, biomechanics, strength and conditioning and sports rehabilitation. Strong professional, graduated from the University of Ballarat with an honours in biomechanics. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of GPS to help with load management and performance measures, why repeat speed is so important for footballers and how to develop it, the program at Sydney Grammar School, practical tips for football strength and conditioning coaches wanting to work in the AFL. Before we start this episode, for those wanting to improve your 2K time trial and gain a competitive edge this preseason, hire a prepare like a pro coach and join our individualised coaching package. We have a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you have nothing to lose other than the time off your 2K time trial. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for having me. We'll, we'll dive right back into the beginning of your career, mate. Um, yep. At what age did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning? Uh, good question. Um I think it was when I was in, I mean, I always, I always loved sport and when I finished school, I, I wanted to do, like my sister did a human movement degree before me and that sort of um, got me thinking about it. Then I met uh, one, a guy who was in her course and started talking to him about the options and what you can do and that, that, that got me really interested so that I, I ended up doing the same course as her when I, when I graduated and um, Took it to a different stream though, and I went down the exercise science route, and um, and yeah, went and really probably is, it was probably second year uni. I did a. It's actually interesting. I was watching your intro. It was good that um I saw it just then because I I did a internship at VIS um second year. Spent about nine months there, and Andrew Russell was my um was basically supervising me the whole time. And oh, how good! So, yeah, he he was he actually good friend of my sister's they were in the same year and um so it was uh, that was probably what got me really interested i loved that experience and i ended up just going there and volunteering um every after every friday afternoon for for another i don't know six months on top of the experience that i had um and yeah that probably got me a job i reckon at the end of it um because yeah my even though i did other things but at, at uni and other experiences, but my first when I fir- was finishing my honours, I applied just to a bunch of clubs to see what was around. And Loris Bertolacci, who was at Geelong, he he picked up my resume, and because I'd worked with Andrew, and Andrew worked with Loris at Essendon, and it just went from there. And we both had an athletics background as well, so um, yeah, that that just sort of worked well, and um, that got me in, I suppose. And yeah, yeah, fantastic. There's um there's uh, that crew. Um, of generation of strength and conditioning coaches that were pretty pivotal in, in AFL athlete development um, with John Quinn's being on, yeah, Loris, yeah. Uh, Andrew Russell, um, 
Joel Hocking, we had him recently as well, another athletics background, S&C. Um, yeah. So it seemed to be, and worked in AFL as well. So it seemed to be quite a popular trend in in the sport. Um, yeah. Do Do you think it uh, um it helped shape the way that the game is so much faster paced and higher pressure and, and the intensity of the game due to some of the coaches that were coming on? Yeah, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's even um uh who was it at, at Brisbane Lions at the time um was in a similar background as well and it was coaching some I think strange shot putter at the time. I can't remember his name. Um. But yeah, like basically, we used to we used to talk a lot, and the 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 influence of athletics was massive for me. Um, and I found it it helped my it it really helped shape my beliefs and 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 teach me what what athletes in the AFL could could cope with and and the, the sort of training loads that were needed um, mm-hmm. at that sort of level and the intensities and and things like that that and and then other things in terms. Of uh, injury prevention and um, and running mechanics and and bits like that. It, it really, I think it was massive. It's probably been the yeah in terms of my development, doing athletics and and coaching athletics was was huge. Um, yeah, yeah, no doubt they'll be developing strength and conditioning coaches that are tuning in. Um, yeah. If they don't have a athletics background, would you recommend where would you start? Would it would it be doing athletics yourself, even if you're an adult, or is yeah. it just coaching? Yeah. Drills that, or, yeah. that's what we uh, and i've done that with guys before like when i was at geelong um there was a guy who came on board with us at the time um chris dennis who just recently left geelong but he he was there for a long time really successful strength coach but at the time um loris and i actually loris probably steered it and pushed him towards doing some athletics and he said he came down and just did some training with us and was coached by Loris had a lot of experience coaching athletics as well and, and sprinters in general. So yeah, and that was one of the things he always pushed is if you haven't done it yourself, just go and train with a group, uh, like a, a group of track and field athletes or sprinters or pro runners even, and and learn some of the the techniques that they use um, because it translates to a lot of the conditioning side of football really well. Yeah, 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 and it's so important to see it. Isn't it? And experience it and feel it to be able to then teach it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you mentioned that you, you said you did that uh, internship at VIS. And, yeah. And did I hear correctly that you were putting in extra hours with shadowing Andrew Russell in the afternoons or something? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I basically just um, think, I don't even know if it was in it. It wasn't really a, a proper internship. It was just Andrew actually invited me down and said, Was he Jack back then or was it this is Andrew? No, yeah, it was Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We used to call him Russ. So I don't know. Yeah. He, then he started getting Jack, and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, that was when he was dating my sister. So it was, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, you weren't going on nickname basis. He wasn't, he wasn't right then, but I think that he might have at some stage. Anyway, yeah. uh, he'd probably hate me for saying that. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, he was awesome and he, you know, helped me learn what to do with athletes at the time was really just letting me play a bit and um and then feeding me information this is what you know you should watch this these videos or give me research to look at and and just helping me sort of um get confidence coaching athletes and so you know at the time he would just put me with um take guys through their programs and you know i was a second year uni guy but um you know it was it really helped just to you know, take some you know, Olympic kayakers or whatever they were through their programs and, and just watch the way they train and, and see, you know, how, how elite they were. Uh, I think that really helped me too. Yeah, and at the time when you, when you take yourself back 
to that uh, time in your life. What was your mindset like? Were you just in awe of these athletes and just excited to be there and, and just soaking it up as much as you can? Or did you have intentions on, I want to work in elite sport and this is going to set me up? I, I definitely wanted to work in elite sport and uh, pretty much from uh, probably first year of uni, I knew that. Yep. And I was doing everything possible. Like I did, probably did about a thousand hours worth of voluntary work at uni. Um, just every holidays, I was doing stuff, um, AIS internships, um, uh, ACT Academy of Sport um everything just you know ballarat was the ballarat miners basketball team and all, all sorts of stuff like that just yeah, right. yeah. And just sort of getting some of it like i i didn't really enjoy i was doing like physio physiology work and taking bloods and lactates and stuff like that but it was good just to just to experience all different parts of what we can do yeah. um in our course and then that really helped steer me into what i liked um and i went from there yeah and that um, approach, did that come naturally to you or did a mentor like Jack or someone else sort of recommend get you, throw yourself out there and get as many opportunities as you can? Um, no one really recommended it to me, I don't think. I, I, I know uh, some guys who were the same year as my sister, some other guys, that, and they were doing, I don't know, I, I don't know if it was them or not, but I, I ended up just doing it. I think I enjoyed it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I could see the benefit in what I was doing. It probably helped. The, some of the some of the the lecturers and that that I had at Ballarat, like Warren Young, was one of my main lecturers. He he took me through my honours as well, and another guy, Michael Poulton, was really influential on me. Um, and those guys, yeah, they I think at the time the course was um, you had to do four hundred hours minimum anyway. I think over the course, and that was that really helped. I think it was a strong course at the time, and yeah. Okay, and then yes, yeah, so you went on to do your honours. Um, what other things were you doing? outside of um your studying and and your research were you um working outside of the industry or were you working within the industry like personal training um, how are you was, sort of making ends meet yeah i did a little bit uh, holiday periods in that um i did some combined work which was experience that i was getting paid for as well like i did some like holiday camp type things and um then i did I, I did a whole range of different things i worked in pubs while i was at uni um uh, you know friday saturday nights um and i did from a training point of view i was doing i did athletics uh, or i started doing pro running i did normal track and field right up until i was probably 20 21 or so and then i started doing pro running and uh running in gifts and things like that so i run i ran at stall and a bunch of other right. running races and um so that was probably what i, I was playing i played afl as well I played um I played for North Ballarat um, in Ballarat and uh, played up to, I played a couple of games of VFL reserves um, and yeah, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't good enough to go to the next level. I always sort of thought, well, I probably need to concentrate more on this side and yeah. And, yeah. How yeah. did you go like that's competing at a high level in, in two sports and then doing all these hours? You mentioned you did uh, nearly triple the hours that the placement was for the degree. Mm. A thousand hours as opposed to four hundred. How did you go about managing that workload, and and I guess wearing the two hats of still having your goals and pursuits with with the athletic side and footy, and then but then also pursuing your career. Yeah, um, the athletics side, I suppose goals for that. I I during uni, I probably didn't go too hard with it. I was there was periods where I did and I didn't, and then after uni, when I when I was at Geelong, actually. I really had a had a, more of a crack with athletics, probably for two or three years there. Um, 
really tried to push myself and with Loris coaching me at the time, um, it was a good time to do it. My yeah. I really I had a goal. Like my dad was a really good sprinter and had a he'd ran ten four for the hundred before and held a, held the record in Geelong for about four still holds it, I think, for Yeah, <laughs> right. And I was trying to knock him off. Yeah, I wanted to try and knock him off, but I never got there. <laughs> so, and then once I started working at North Melbourne, which uh, two thousand end of two thousand two, um, uh, and I got the job there to run the program, and I had to give it up. I just had no time. Um, right. So that was yeah. That was probably in my. I got probably just before that I was hitting my peak, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> got to pick one at the crossroad. Yeah. Do I yeah. beat, beat my dad or, or yeah, you know, yeah full time job. I would have had to train six days a week. I probably wouldn't have got there either anyway. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's impressive, impressive speed. Um, so you, so if we take it back there, you you were you doing your honours at Geelong or how did you get um, I, Loris at Geelong? I know you mentioned no, I did my honours at Andrew Russell, but yeah, no, I didn't. I did my honours at Ballarat, but I in the last, I was probably I was still finishing it when I got the job at Geelong. It was about yep. uh, September October in '99. I think I started yep. in Geelong. Um, and yeah, it was a month or so to write up the rest of my honours, and but yeah, it was pretty much done. Um, and was that a part-time role at Geelong? First year, it was part-time. It was about it was meant to be. It was meant to be part-time. <laughs> it's about twenty hours a week. But Loris used to have me on the phone every night for about an hour, and he just wouldn't. He never stops talking, and we used to get caught up in lots of conversations all the time, which was great. Um, yeah. And I loved working with him. It was he really? He was a really good mentor for me, and um, probably probably influenced me more than anyone. Um, yep. So definitely, we definitely did. Yeah, and we we got along well. And so yeah, first year was part time, and then I went full time second year, and um, I was there for three in total before I went to North. Okay. Yeah, and so the part time role was like, at, were you helping out in the strength room mainly on the with the conditioning rehab? What was the um, everything? Um, yeah. I, yeah, basically just. I assisted Loris to run the whole thing and he, he oversee the whole lot. And then I'd, he'd write the programs, I think, in the first year and I'd come into the gym and I'd supervise and help out guys in there. And then I'd on the field when training was on, I'd, every training session I was there. Um, yep. And so, and games as well. It was really, you know, it was probably 30 plus hours in the end, but we were yep. just, um, it was fun. So he didn't really care. And, um, yeah, we he just, he'd just get me to do all different parts of the program so it was a great and i think that's what um maybe is missing from some guys now if you go into the afl you sort of have to come in in a specialized role a lot of the time um the afl's gone a bit that way but back then it was like there wasn't as many of us there's only me and him and there's no other staff at all i think there might have been a girl abby who came in did part-time sports science work and took skin folds and a few things um but we pretty much did the rest of it and so you had to do everything. You'd supervise rehab. You'd, you know, at the time I, it was good because he pushed me to do. I did like Pilates courses, clinical Pilates. Um, I did a couple of different qualifications in that so that I could use it with guys in rehab. Um, and yeah, we. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. But it was, yeah, it was, yeah just an all round experience. Um, yeah. yeah. And for for the strength and conditioning coaches that are tuned in, and you, and you mentioned early on, like when you started your degree, you knew your vision, you knew why what your purpose was to do the degree was working in elite sport and then we're now you know at the start of how you get your, your foot in the door and you mentioned that the athletics and how that helped and, and a couple yeah. of key mentors um well if, if think you know if you were talking to yourself back then is there anything you would have done differently or you're pretty um, um you would have do sort of the uh, same 
the formula? At the time, no, I think I, I think, yeah, I, I knew when I was at uni that I, I think just took every opportunity that I could with um, work experience because I thought that would really help me. Um, yep. And so I wouldn't, yeah, definitely. I'd, and I've told people since, like whenever I've come into contact with people trying to get in or finishing uni or at uni, I'm like, you just got to, you got to go crazy, get as much experience as possible because when you come out of it, that's what gets you a job. It's the degree itself. I don't know, everyone's got a degree. So how do you separate yourself? And for me, it was that experience plus being having done athletics. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, and you mentioned the, the two strong influences, uh, Andrew and uh, Loris. Yep. Are there other guys that spring to mind that helped you along the way? Yep. Um, oh, let me think. Um, I suppose at Geelong at the time, Mark Thompson was the coach and um, he was a good coach. I, I, I definitely got along well with him and um, I think he, he helped initially probably just because at times it, there was times when I, was, I had to sort of run the program in my third year, I think, for a pe- short period. Loris was, um, had some family um, things going on and had to take some time away from work, so, but they yep. grew me in charge for, for, I don't know, four or five weeks or something like that. And um, so I had to deal directly with Bomber and, and basically do what Loris did and, you know, coming to meetings and do all that. And, and that, that was a really great part that taught me a lot. Um, yeah. And he was good even when I went to North Melbourne. He sort of helped me with getting that job and, um, and tell me what I should do. Um, so, yeah, Bomber was good. And then after that, at, at North, um, I worked with a guy named Brenton Parsons who um, was – he, I, he was my assistant at the time and we sort of had a great relationship and I learned a lot off him, um, even though, yeah, yeah, and we just sort of, from that point on, we sort of would chat and keep in contact a lot over the years. And um, so, yeah, Brenton was great. Um, who else? That's probably in the, in the early years, though. Yeah, there's there another guy, Trevor Farr, who at the same time as well was at, was at North. Um, and, and the other thing, North Melbourne, I, I was really young at the time, like a, I think I got the job at North to, and I was, I think I was 24, just about to turn 25. And, yeah. and you're was, running the program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember at the time, um, a couple of the players really uh, stood up and helped me. Uh, one of them was David King. Um, he he used to say to me, like, you know, if you need anything, just have let me know, come and have a chat. And, you know, you know some of the experienced veterans they had there, Anthony Stevens was also excellent. Um, Glenn Archer, uh, really good. Um, yeah, so that, those guys in particular, um, I used to, I used to speak to quite a bit to help because um, yep. yeah, you know, at the time a lot of the guys I was coaching, you know, they were older than me and had more experience in the AFL than I did, and so yeah, <laughs> super, super yeah. successful players, strong, you know, strong, well, big names, and um, yeah. That, it shows the good culture that would have been there for them to um, yeah. rather make life easy for you. They they got around you, which which no doubt yeah. would have helped you um, yeah. do what you needed to do. How, how did you get that role? You mentioned Bomber helped you get the opportunity, but um, how did I you get that? Actually, yeah. like they were, um, the end of 2002, they had a change of coach. Um, I think Dennis Pagan left and Dean Lagley came in and um, they were sort of setting up their program again and, um yeah they they reached out and i think they, they just recommended me i had an interview um and went from there yeah so did well in the interview and just went oh here we go yeah <laughs> it was a different, 
yeah. <laughs> um, at the time, like that, that's probably yeah. That that was the I learned a lot in that role, um, and yeah, that was it was very challenging. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. Twenty four, you're still working yourself out. Uh, or I know I was anyway. Uh, yeah, at thirty one, but um, yeah. that's an incredible effort to to run a program. Did you get to bring your own assistant in? Did you have to let someone go? Like, how was the initial? Um, yeah, there's no staff. Like I, I had a, uh, a guy, Trevor, I mentioned before. He was he came in basically. I had no money to give people, so I think I gave him about five grand to help me, and he was awesome and just put in heaps of extra time. And Brenton as well, probably uh, maybe he came on a little bit later, I think maybe, and he wasn't paid much either. Um, but they, they eventually were. But um, yeah. It was really a lot of volunteers. I had volunteer masseurs. Um, we had, yeah, we were training out of portables and the condemned grandstand. It was a, <laughs> it was a real um, mix of all sorts of stuff going on there. Like there was, it was actually, yeah, it was that. It, you had to be. It, it was good though because it it made me um, think laterally and and just come up with solutions to not having equipment and. Um, just getting, yeah, working around it, and which was good. We were, yeah, had to be creative, and I'm, I like that. Yep. So and it was, how, how much did you adopt Andrew Russell's and Loris's philosophy, and how much did you bring? I guess if there was a, that was a 30 30 and then 30 your own, was it majority of your own philosophy that you always wanted to try, and now you had the opportunity to? Like, how did yep. you go about the program? Yep. Um, I probably, I think from the different parts of it, I had different elements of each like the from the conditioning um i i definitely did similar program initially to what we were doing at geelong um although i really tried to push the speed uh aspect of training or the uh the conditioning towards high speed um and resilience towards that was a really big focus of mine um there's one thing we started doing when we were at geelong um but i i probably just refined it a bit more and uh, and continued down that path a lot and um, what was your thinking there like why did you want to focus on that what was the the selling point i guess to the players and the coaches that that was important well one of the, one of the things was that just the situation at north melbourne at the time like they they come off a background of a, a huge um aerobic base um where their previous fitness guy had focused on real middle distance type conditioning um like probably three to five K or what one K one K time trials up towards five K repeats. And they, they started to get a lot of, um, they had quite a few navicular stress fractures and, um, other, other overuse type injuries as a result. So that I knew I just had to do less volume for one thing. Um, and I wanted to make them more efficient runners. And so running them over shorter distances faster and repeating that. That intensity was was a key to doing that, and uh, also conditioning them to be able to prevent hamstring injuries at, at the yeah. time. And that was that was one of my key things. Was always to, I wanted to have the best injury rate in the comp, um, and so I had a lot of things built into the program to help with that. Um, I still maintained, I still had a focus on their aerobic ability as well, but I did a lot of it off legs, and um, you know, boxing, swimming bike all those sort of stuff I was, I was i was doing a lot of that even though it's probably not specific and i maybe now that i know things differently i might not have done as much as that as i did but it's it it still worked i think and um yeah we yeah had a place 
And yeah, the, the strength side of things, I think I I combined a bit of what Russ taught me uh, and and Loris, and then also threw in um, how I thought you know I probably pushed the intensity of that a little bit more um, and the and the load in there because I wanted them the time. I think there was a bit of a trend at the time too with you know guys the, the game at the time was nowhere near as aerobic. I don't think it is is now. It was more of a um, yeah we didn't have anywhere near as many rotations as you as they they you know, say there was in 2014. Um, I know that's reduced now, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could you could really work on guys' power and speed and strength probably a bit more. And the teams like Brisbane at the time were, were yeah, very, big yeah big strong players, and yeah, we wanted to be able to compete with them. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and how did how did you like? How did the players adopt that? I guess it would sound like it was a fair change in philosophy. Were they excited by it because because they wanted some change, or were they a little bit stubborn against it? Bit of both. Yeah, I think they love the strength training. We did. Um, yep. They really got into that. Um, they liked running fast, and they had to really you know hold the brakes on them quite a bit because. They just you'd tell them to run at ninety percent, they'd all run at one hundred and five percent, and be racing each other, and you're like, slow down. <laughs> um, but then they wanted volume, though. They because they were so used to in lots of distance, they they couldn't understand why we weren't doing enough as much, um, yeah, running conditioning work as they were used to. <laughs> Mentally, they didn't feel like they were working hard. No, no, but it took a while. Like we, they. They started to believe in it when they started to, you know, later in January, February, the first year, I suppose, we were playing games and, and they could notice their fitness more and, and yeah. And after that, um, and then during the season, over the, as the years progressed, we got, um, I suppose, one of, our, our injury results at the time were awesome for, for soft tissue injuries and, and in general, we, we just... Um, we just managed to get hardly any, and you know a lot of that's probably a bit of luck. But I think a lot of it was the type of running we did, and the amount of focus we had on technique as well as on speed, and and not um, not getting too much junk running into them, how a lot of people would call it. Yeah, yeah, just like the garbage yardage going out for twenty minutes, steady state. What what yeah. what um you mentioned the drills and, and that sort of thing what like for developing footballers that are like oh, i want to i want to get better with my running technique there might be there might be the combine coming up with their 20 meter sprint and or their 2k time trial yo-yo um that time of year now what what, what sort of drills were your maybe your top three drills for, that were specific to footballers that fixed common issues for running technique yeah specifically um the main drill i would do was tempo running so <laughs> And I'd still do it now, um, where you get over probably 70 to 80 metres, I'd have guys run repeat efforts and uh, I'd set a time, that a flying 20 time that I'd want them to sort of cover over that distance. So, and, you know, that'd be a consistent speed that they'd run at. And then I would just, as they're running, I'd give them cues um, to, to focus on for each for each rep and try to do, you know, there might be too much at a time, but just slowly try and work on one thing maybe per session and um which with footballers a lot of the time was um yeah if you i don't know bring your foot over your knee um when you're on your on your dry face um of your non non-stance leg um yep. and because footballers just tend to overstride a lot and don't lift their knee and just plunge their foot forward um and don't have the ability to get their knee high enough to then land it underneath their center of gravity and yeah 
um, that's sort of one of the things I probably the key thing I worked on um, yep. was trying to focus on that because yeah, I'd say seventy percent of guys that that was their issue. And, yeah, cool. Um, and you're, yeah, they're, while they're still doing some some tempo running at the same time, it's not like you're slowing them right down and. No, no, you don't do it in the warm up. There'd be an yep. extended warm up that might go for, like I said, this and um, like leading into say a speed session, they might do a forty five minute warm up um, of you know slow gradual stuff, a lot of activation drills, and then then they might do six or eight sixty eighty meter runs, and then then where you work on those sort of things, and then you finish that, and then go into the high intensity just speed work where I wouldn't be working on technique and they're just running yep. fast. Yeah, that's awesome that you got. And that was year one. You could get the coaches into allowing you to have that time with the athletes, like 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, I remember having a lot of battles with coaches to, to not do that. But yeah, pre season is different though, because you have a whole day really. And you, you know, you might, we used to, we used to section it off so that the conditioning would either be before uh, the skills component or after. Um, and they'd have a break between. Yep. So you sort of had a time period anyway where I knew I, I could work within that and, yeah, that wasn't – it wasn't like I was warming them up for an in-season training session where you never could do that and, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. awesome. So you're running your program at North and you mentioned you were there for – was it three seasons? Uh, four. four. Four years and then um, what eventuated from there? Is that when you moved over to Adelaide? Uh, no, I moved to London at the time or um, Scotland. I I left North Melbourne um, in 2006 and um, went to, at the time, didn't, didn't work out with uh, at North. And in that last year, we had um, uh, to go back. Yeah, it was probably, that was a really tough period for me. I think I, I learned a lot um, on how to deal with, um, uh, I don't know, just people in general. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, then, so I, I left. I left North, went, got a job with Glasgow, I mean, Celtic in Glasgow. Oh, sweet. Um, and, yeah, that was, that sort of came about because I, when I was at North in the, the last, I think 2005 or might have been six, I can't remember, that um, the manager of Celtic, uh, Gordon Strachan, he came and spent about a week with us at North and on a bit of a tour just to learn what people do. And I met him at the time. We got along well and um, showed him around. And then when I got to, when I got overseas, um, the job came up there, and I managed, yeah, managed to get an interview. And then one thing led to another. I mentioned, you know, I knew Gordon, and ended up meeting him the same day, and got the job. And wow. that was, yeah, that was a crazy experience. <laughs> what was the What was the job? Um, head fitness coach for their Celtic first team, um, and so yeah, that was cool. Um, that was probably some of the best game sort of live atmosphere i've ever seen um yeah, yeah the, actually, the training environment was different like it gave me i had a lot of respect for afl players after being there because those um they didn't train off the field anywhere near like an afl player would like on field they did train really hard and they had some awesome athletes but it was like pulling teeth to get them into the gym it was it was a nightmare <laughs> mm. um but yeah they uh, yeah, that was it. Was just different, and it was a totally different culture, and it was good, good experience. Yeah, and was that your first time working with soccer athletes? Um, uh, yes, was. Yeah, I'd worked, uh, not worked, but I'd um, I'd still been 
I'd been getting interested in soccer for probably four or five years prior to that and, and really following uh, European football quite a bit, but um, I hadn't worked in it, no. So. And, and how did you go about, that does happen a fair bit with S&Cs, especially when you're sort of at the pinnacle and you, um, you've worked at the top, people seem to start to move around at, at that point. Like, how do you go about it? Um, do, you, do you speak to other S&Cs that are working with soccer clubs? Is it research? What's your, what's your main form of um, upskilling yourself to prepare? Um, I didn't really um, know anyone else who'd worked in football at the time. It was... <laughs> It was it was pretty early on, and um, I I knew a guy. The guy, one of the guys, actually worked with at at Celtic, names uh, Alan McCall. Who um, he's a researcher now and does a lot of does a lot of research. I think he works at uh, Barcelona and Arsenal. And but at the time, he'd been out in Australia previously for a year doing working work experience at Brisbane Lions, I think. And and we just got along well, and I used to talk to him quite a lot because um, he had more experience. You know, he grew up in Glasgow, um, but yeah, and just really, I used to just fall back on what I learned at uni, to be honest. And one of the key things I always used to know is that whatever sport I was in, it was really an, doing a needs analysis of the sport was the first thing I ever did. And just looking at what's involved, the movements involved, the the um, energy systems being used. And, yeah, I just I just watched the sport and that probably helped me the most. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and it makes a lot of sense. That was like you know, when you're – one would or your strength as a coach is that athletics you know how to teach how to run it's still a running based sport and um, yeah. I imagine soccer even more so than footy in some sense is speed based it was pretty similar like the conditioning was not a huge amount different um a little bit more lateral work than afl probably more yep. than anything uh, but yeah it was pretty similar um, yeah and what was yeah. your team like did you have an assistant uh, or sports yeah. science Sports science, which was Alan. He was sports scientist at the time. Yep. We had, uh, we were, yeah, that was us. And we had a doctor and uh, three or four physios. One of the physios did rehab, um, and uh, that was it. It was, a, yeah, it was quite a early setup, I suppose. And even at the time, most, not many of the football clubs over there had big uh, departments. Uh, I think at the time, I think it was um, the best that I knew of was Bolton Wanderers at the time. They had a um, they probably were renowned for having the best sort of program and really good sports science operations. Um, Fulham weren't too bad as well. There's an Aussie guy working at Fulham. I can't remember his name, but um, I ended up meeting him at some point. But, yeah. Was it um, closed doors or, or is it a little bit like the AFL where people are open in um, a sense? Yeah. yeah, pretty so. closed. Pretty closed, yeah. I mean, you didn't have much time, to be honest, as well, because you were playing three games a week. You yeah, sort of right. like Saturday, you play a game on the weekend, then a midweek, then weekend, and just there's travel involved and, and that as well. So it was it was difficult to get around to much more than just doing your job. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get some sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how long were you there for? Because it sounds like you're going for a bit of a, a holiday, and then this just was a shift towards the the plan. You got a job. Is yeah, I was there for. I ended up taking a job. Um, which in hindsight wasn't wasn't a great move, but I took a job with British uh, Tennis Awards. Called Lawn Tennis Association, they called it, which is basically British tennis, uh, which was a move back to London. And I, uh, yeah, now I go back and I wish I'd stayed at Celtic. Um, but, you know, at the time I I was probably looking to, I had family in London at the time and I was a bit homesick and it was, it was, it was hard work in Glasgow, to be honest. <laughs> I've been up there on my own at the time. And, yeah, so I moved back there, worked with tennis for a bit 
Um, and then after that, then I moved back home and got a job in Adelaide with South Australian cricket after that. Okay. So, yeah. And then went to the Crows and Port Adelaide. So <laughs> awesome, man. Huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good, actually. I, I really enjoyed cricket. Um, South, I worked for Saka for uh, almost two years and loved it. And had still got some really good mates from from that guys who were players at the time, plus people I worked with. And yeah, um, I enjoyed that because it was just a different uh, cricket was a different sort of environment. Um, the players themselves were. Probably a bit older, most in general, um, yep. and because they it takes a while for the cricketers to get to that elite level, and so um, yeah, I got along well with those guys, and live like living in Adelaide. It was good fun. Yeah, we and also just learn learn another sport, learn how to deal with different injuries, um, different conditioning requirements. Um, cricket was good because there's like you know some very different type of positions like bowlers compared to to batsmen and what they need is is very different yeah very specific the position yeah yeah um and maybe the individualization because of the volume of players would be so different to the other sports you're working in yeah you had more time with the players you'd have it um except for when they were playing like a four-day shield game or something and you sort of just sit there watching um cricket for four days <laughs> but yeah. um in between, like that was actually, yeah, the rehab side of things, was, yeah, you probably had about, the list was 20. Um, so it was a bit easier from that type of thing. You could yeah, spend a bit of time with the boys and get to know them really well. Um, yeah. And there's a fair bit of travel. We, you know, you play games all around Australia, but then we played in the, we made the 2020 Champions League in South Africa. So we got to go over there and travel to South Africa and play Indian teams. And that was awesome. Yeah. Um, so, so what would be your game day role? Are you warming them up like an AFL warm-up? Yeah, yeah, warm-ups. Um, and then during the game, you would usually do, like I used to use the game time. If we were we were batting uh, in, a say, a shield game or something like that, then you'd get the bowlers and, and take them to the gym and, and do some work with them. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's usually just small sessions, but just topping them up and keeping them going um, or you do rehab um because there's always there was always a few guys in rehab that you you do during that period um but yeah warm-ups you do drinks you do a lot of hydration because uh, it's always in summer so we're just yeah always i think you had hydrolyte uh sachets going around all over the place and just trying to <laughs> they were addicted to them i think um yeah um bit of sports science work as well and you know load management side of things because we didn't have um it was pretty much just me for most of the time. I had eventually got an assistant in there, but uh, you sort of had to do a bit of everything. And but yeah, that was um, yeah, even even helping out in the skill side of things with guys at training and and you know, warming them up on the throwing balls at them and and doing things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then before we move to the, sort of getting back into AFL uh, at this point in your career. What was your biggest challenge and, and what did you learn from it? Um, from working in cricket, specifically? And uh, no, just, just, just in general. Uh, I probably, my biggest challenge at the time, I think, um, before I started, it probably stemmed from, um, I think, North Melbourne at the time when I left. I really probably needed to, I realised that I needed to improve um, communication skills more at the time and, and be able to um, work and deal with, um, I suppose, uh, coaches that um, 
you know, and, make, and just build better relationships with those sort of people. And, and even so I worked on that really a lot and especially in cricket was a really good opportunity for me to do that. And I felt like I just grew quite a lot over that period. Um, is, that, is that specifically you just thought, okay, this is a, this is a skill. I've just got to practice the specific yeah. skill of working with coaches or is it? Not necessarily you... not just coaches, but just you know, everyone involved. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of, you know, every football club or sports team, there's a lot of different personalities and, um, and I, yeah, you know, I just realised that you know that's a huge part of being a coach and running a running a department in a fo- in a football or cricket team, or whatever. You have to be good at that. And yep. so, yeah. Um, and I noticed from I think you know someone like Russ is a perfect example. I think he was he was awesome at that. Um, and probably yeah, it's probably one of the big reasons why he's done so well. Um, mm. And and uh, you know Darren Burgess, who I worked with at Port Adelaide, similar. Um, just a great communicator, and yeah, so I wanted to yeah develop those side of my, that side of my skill set. And, yeah. yeah, and those guys that you mentioned that that are sort of the that that's their strength. That Darren Burgess and Andrew Russell. Um, what form of communication were they specifically stand out in? Is it informal meetings? Is it non formal communication? Is it just all round? You know, like was it being able to how they communicate to people below them equal to them? above like what was what was the biggest standout do you think that i guess separated from their skills to i think um i could probably maybe a burjo was probably a good example he was he was a um he was excellent i think at selling the program and 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 making the players and believe especially the players i think believe in what they were doing and that it was going to make them successful i think that was that was huge. I, when I um, worked with him, I really saw that side of what he did, and um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty good skill to have. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it really getting the play, getting that relationship with the players is the key, and I think that more, even more so than the coaches, probably because the players basically, if they, yeah, if they want something, they'll get it. They've got more power than than just one coach. Um, so yeah, you've got to. You got to respect them and and um, and build good relationships with players. I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you know, for a young coach listening in, what what is what are well, maybe three things, or it doesn't have to be three, two things that are really important for developing relationships with with your athletes. Um, I suppose, um, yeah, don't the way you talk to them. I think is important. Um, I think um, early on for me, I I just listening to them and, and letting them use um, their experience and feel like they're, you know, they're valued and their opinions are, are important and their experiences and, and, you know, making it the training um, as individual as possible for each of them. Um, I yeah. think it was really, really important and making them feel like that you care about them and yeah, like you're, you're out there to help them and you'll do things for them and you go over the top and, um, yeah, you know, go go out of your way to to make their life easier, really. And yeah, yeah. Um, that's still yeah. Even now, I'm still learning that. Even in in the, the in my current job, is that you know you you get rewarded. I think no matter where you are for for putting in the extra extra time and um, more more above of what you're actually just paid for. And I think you can get caught up just going, oh, you know, I'm not paid for that. I'm not going to bother with that and whatever. But you've yeah. Um, really 
put the time into a little bit of extra work and it pays off. Um, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, mate. We'll, yeah. we'll have a quick drink break and then we'll go Great. to, uh, we'll carry on with the, you're in Adelaide and you're back in the AFL. Um, cool. but... <laughs> Thanks, mate. If anyone's thinking about uh, joining the Prepare Like Pro Academy, I definitely recommend it ever since I've joined it a few months ago. I feel so much more motivated, more fitter, more stronger, more supportive as well. Some of the things he gets you, gets you doing is great for building up your capacity, muscle mass, injury prevention, everything you could need that you wouldn't even think of if you were making up your own plan. So Jackie's a nice fellow, he knows knows what he's doing, just flick him a message, he'll get you set up, no worries. He might even get you onto a few giveaways, a few free trials. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Welcome back, guys. Um, so you're, we're back in Adelaide now, mate. You're back in the AFL. You first went to cricket and then worked there for a few years and now you, you went back to Adelaide Crows. Um, yeah. What was the reason for to get back into the AFL? Um, I suppose I... I was approached by Stephen Schwert from the Crows um, to come over and run the strength program at the Crows. Um, and uh, I, I always loved working in AFL, I suppose, and was probably, a, um, yeah, it was it was very enticing for me to get back into it because, you know, I grew up playing the sport and um, just, I don't know, I, I, I liked working in it. And um, and I got, yeah, I got an offer from, from the Crows and thought, yep, yeah, I'll... Yeah, I'm I'm ready to do it again, and yeah, that was it. And from that from that role where you're in Adelaide and then North Melbourne, was there a big change in the football department specifically with high performance and, and medical? Yeah, big change. Um, the Crows was a big big um, team and um, big club in general. Um, a lot more facilities to our disposal, like the you know great gym that we had and and. You know, there's a pool indoors. It was also they pretty much had everything at the time. Um, compared to most clubs, you 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 had your your field, couple of training fields right in front of you where you trained, and next to the club, it was it was it was really easy for for them. Um, we had probably staff wise, not too many staff. We had um, I think three full time and in S and C. One well, one guy was a part-time sports scientist slash assistant, um, actually four we had. Um, so, yeah, it was a sports scientist. We had myself, another guy, Matty Bode, who was um, in assistant strength and conditioning. And then uh, we also had a three or four physios. We had chiropractors. Had a lot of, you know, the sports medicine side of things was pretty big. And one of the physios did rehab. And then Schwerty had some consultants that would come in as well, like uh, Charlie Walsh at the time would come in and run cycling programs. And um, Dean Benton used to come in, do a bit of speed work with the boys and stuff. And just, um, yeah, so it was, a, it was a bigger setup, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then Neil, Neil was, Sorry? You were head strength and power coach, were you? Yeah. Uh, and how, how did you find that? Because it seemed like all the previous roles, you were the um, manager, the head HPM and then yeah. going to like the, my guess the two IC like did you enjoy it not having all the pressure on you or how did you find uh, that? It was different. Yeah, I, I liked. Um, uh, I probably got to be a bit more hands on with the players and I got to really get stuck in and I do, I really enjoyed that part of it because um, you know I, it was pretty much mainly me in the gym and 
writing their programs. I just I did a fair bit of speed note with them as well, and I'd help with rehab and other things. But in the gym was my domain, and um, that was good. I, I enjoyed that part of it. Um, some parts where you're not running the program used to frustrate me because you know you'd think, oh, why is this happening? And you might want to do it different ways. Um, yeah. but that's probably because I had been in that role before. That probably, yeah, that's probably why I sort of have had some of those thoughts. I think at the time, but um, yeah, I still like I, I built great relationships with the players at the Crows at the time, and um, yeah, it was wasn't yeah that was, it was still a good role um yeah definitely it was good good little intro back into into afl yeah and um you i guess you'd have empathy for the strength and power guy and the hbm so what do you think is the best way for a strength and power coach that hasn't been a high performance manager to respect those thoughts like is it being honest and just saying this is how i would do things take it or leave it is it just leaving it all together and not communicating what what's oh, the culture between playing. Yeah, keeping in communication all the time. And um, yeah, I think you you can't you can never do that and just say, look, this is the way I'm going to do it, and that's it. And that's um, that's really where you just you'll get kicked out straight away, pretty much in AFL. I think if you if that's the sort of attitude you have, and you've got to be able to work with people and um, understand. I think what it helps to like the high performance manager's role is a lot of things that they've got to consider um and yeah a lot of diff- different pressures than you would get as a strength coach it's a lot being a strength coach is you know it's you can sort of be in your little area and you you know as long as they're um as, long as you're not breaking someone in the gym or um <laughs> it's it's you don't have the the worries that you would as running the program definitely so yep. it helped it definitely helped me or to to under- be have some understanding of what my boss at the time would have been considering although his role was was bigger than what my role would have been at at uh north melbourne because he was sort of the the the, the sport had developed quite a bit you know the departments were bigger um more more staff underneath him and and he was also overseeing the medical area as well which yeah oh i wasn't doing that so yeah that was uh, I mean, you've always the doc. It's sort of interesting in AFL clubs, like the doctor and the head of performance. Um, you know, you, the high performance manager can sometimes be seen as being in charge of that, but then the doctor can overrule basically anything. <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, that, that's interesting. That that I've seen a lot of uh, issues in football clubs between medical staff and fitness departments. And when you're in a club and those two are working well together, it's a it, it really helps and i think it's it it's a bad environment when they're not and yeah so yeah, yeah it's, it's a key thing to have is that chemistry between those departments i think yeah and and do you think that just takes time of working together to build that cohesion or is it personalities yeah a bit of both yeah, yeah. i think yeah some people just w- w- won't get along with you but um but yeah you've got to yeah be considerate of, of i suppose where everyone's coming from and yeah just um just be understanding and and listen to people and yeah i think yeah that that's a skill i suppose you learn just from being involved for a while and not trying to be too pig-headed about uh just trying to get things done the way you want because um i think there's plenty of different as i suppose loris used to always tell me and there's you know a hundred different ways to skin a cat and um Mm. and when it comes to fitness like 
yeah, you, there's always a way to get things done. Even you can make compromises all the time. And I think the better you, the more you do it, the more compromises you, you'll actually do just to, because you understand that it'll still work. And, you know, the whole thing's not going to fall apart just because you change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a great message, mate. But, uh, and and then you shift to to port to the to the rival side. How did that? Come yeah, that was uh, yeah, that didn't go down too. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine the the um, yeah it the guy who was running the program at port. He he actually it's funny how this works, but he worked with Loris as well at Geelong, um, Cameron Falloon, and who was there when I got there. And he yeah he um, wanted to get me to come over and and sort of the role was a, was a step up it was rather than just running the strength program I was assisting the whole program um, as a senior assistant and I was helping him to basically write the whole program the conditioning side of things as well and, um, and basically yeah, helping being his right hand man and so um, that was enticing for me to to get back into a more senior role and that was the reason why I went there and and I, we had a similar uh, background of what we how we'd come up and mentored by Loris and um, so yeah we thought that would work quite well at the time but yeah the um, I think the first week I got there I had an interview with the CEO and he told me how the CEO of Adelaide at the time had made some comments about uh, me leaving and going there and wasn't too happy <laughs> but really? it's funny that they they worry about the uh, the strength coach leaving you know and it's really <laughs> yeah that's that small yeah yeah that was it was i port adelaide was a i really i still have um i really enjoyed port adelaide it was it was a good club it was more of a traditional football club compared to adelaide um adelaide was probably like a big business more so than a your old style football club with a huge history behind it or, which port was which you know you had your 60, 70 year old trainers that have been there for 30, 40 years that had, you know, been with the magpies and they come up. And I think that was, they had all that, um, their old, their heritage yeah. of flags in the past. And that, yeah, it made it, it just had a different feeling about it, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that footy club feel, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, then, yeah, Port was a, was an interesting experience because the coach got sacked in halfway through the first year. When I was there, oh, no. Matt Primus was the coach, and I think we lost to um, Gold Coast Suns. It was their first win ever, I think. And we he got sacked that night, and then and then my boss got sacked not long after that. And it was just yeah, the last part of that year was was tough. Um, How were you feeling at the time? Because you were only just came. To oh, the I was like, oh, this is yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen because they basically brought in a whole new. New coach, new new high performance manager, uh, Darren Burgess, is, who came in, and yeah, yeah he was at Liverpool was he? Was this yeah, he came? he came. Yeah, he came straight back from Liverpool at the time. Yeah, so um, yeah, that was that was. I didn't know we didn't know where we were going to be until that year started. Really, so there's a few months of, of not really knowing. Um, that all worked out in the end, and um, most of the people who were there stayed. Um, a few new people came in, um, but we got along. I got along well with Burjo and Ken Hinckley was coach. He was a great coach. Um, yeah, thought he was probably he was a very impressive coach. And um, 
Yeah, that was yeah. I still I hope they do well um, this weekend. I've sort of I don't know. It's weird. I, I grew up back in Geelong, and um, I lived in Geelong as a kid, and um, and then when you go and work for another club, sort of change the issue, <laughs> the subject a bit. But then you leave and you come back, and now it took me um, a while when I left AFL to actually start feeling passionate about supporting Geelong. <laughs> yeah, right. Emotionally, so yeah, sort of, you know, I was from North Melbourne when I was working there, and then the Crows, and then Port, and then I still now um, hope that Port Adelaide do well. And yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it makes sense. You pour so much of your everything into it. Yeah, yeah, and you got you still got guys there that I, that I know, and yeah, I hope they do well. So yeah, yeah, fantastic, mate. And, and that time that you mentioned, um, where there's a new head coach, new high performance manager, yeah, for someone listening that. Um, maybe hasn't been through that, but they may go through it at some point. Like, how did you cope with that? Did you start looking for other jobs? Did you just focus on internally within Port Adelaide? Like, yep. how did you both. Yeah, definitely a bit of both. Um, I didn't actually, uh, I don't think I ever applied for any jobs or anything at the time. Um, I was contracted still at, at Port um, and I yeah just uh, I remember speaking with Burjo a few times we and we just tried to um, put together a program for the boys to do prior to him getting there and uh, I think it, I can't remember the actual time that he, he got there at the start of pre-season but there was a period when he wasn't there was no one there and so it was myself um, Stewie Graham and another guy uh, Andrew Rondinelli I think and we, we were just sort of we just got together and tried to put together something that would work for the boys um so yeah that was challenging yeah i, had, I remember having interviews meetings with the ceo and different people and it was you know it was it was a tough period definitely yeah everyone was wondering if they were going to get the sack or yeah, I can imagine. go on <laughs> yeah well you find the two arguably most important are up there in terms of staff anyway leaders <laughs> Yeah, Everyone else will be freaking out, fair enough. Yeah, and then, yeah, my, my role changed when Burjo came in. I ended up being head of rehab um, after that. And which How did I didn't, that come about? Well, we didn't really um, – we sort of had a bit of a, a mix of people doing rehab and needed to probably just take more control, you know, have someone being responsible for it, I think, and I – I'd always done a lot of rehab and had a good experience with it in the past, so I was quite keen to do it and and confident doing that. So um, I'd already done some of the rehab I'd, I'd been doing. Um, I think at the time Robbie Gray did his ACL and I'd been doing his rehab um, and just, yeah, just sort of worked just to follow on really. Um, yeah. I also didn't mind like the role I had, I think, probably with Burjo coming in, he had his his own theories on how he wanted to condition guys and we yeah, it probably just made sense for me to do that, to be honest. And yeah. Was, yeah. And at uh, what point did with all this the GPS come in and how did that sort of had as a practitioner, did you change much of your philosophy? Did you what sort of insights did you find from it? What were some things that early days were done that ended up becoming yeah. rubbish and, and um GPS, I first started using it, I think it was 2003. Um, I was at uh, North Melbourne. We remember a guy from GP Sports, yeah, Adrian Faccioni, sort of bring, bring them down to the club and gave us a couple of units to play around with. And it took 
you know, the first few years, we really didn't know what we we're doing, what we we're doing with them. Um, we we're just getting yeah, total distance and we didn't really know the metrics that we needed to look for. And I probably didn't invest much time in it at the time. I was, yep. yeah. Um, now, then, as the years went on, when I, probably when I got to Adelaide, I really um, started using them more and I worked quite closely with the, the sports scientists there to, to, you know, start to look at our high-speed numbers and sprint distance and, and come up with some, you know, management systems there to, to get more out of the boys and to start to prevent injuries because I, th I thought that there was a, a really good way that we could use GPS to help with soft tissue injuries. And then, yeah, so when, when I was at Port and then I started working closely with Stewie Graham, who was head of sports science, and we we started really focusing on um, the sprint distance side of um, metrics and all the all of that, yeah, sprint distance and max velocity and um, peak velocity that the boys would reach. And we came up with our own um, system or model that we use to to manage uh, we called it a hamstring um zone six injury prevention model or something i don't know something like that but it was uh it was pretty good it was it was it was really using gps to quantify what i i think i'd had a system that i'd use even from when i was at north and where i used to condition guys to run at high speed or sprint distance over pre-season and then maintain that throughout the year and yep. So, and GPS, you know, we started, we could see that as a way to really refine that and get the numbers exactly right for each person individually um, and to know what they all needed individually to be able to maintain that and manage it throughout a season. Um, and, yeah, that was critical in that side of things. And then it didn't, It hamstring was probably the start of it. It ended up leading towards uh, having an effect on the overall conditioning of training and um because we started to see trends with the amount of zone six sprint distance guys would do in a game um, and uh, their performance. Uh, so the, it would correlate really highly with wins. Yep. Uh, and then training training drills used to be uh, the coaches started to catch on to this too and we, we'd know or they'd know what metrics to look for in each drill and which drills um, were better at eliciting those sort of responses from the boys um which were more they ended up being the, the drills that were more game-like and you know the ones that were going to impact their uh performance the most um and so it was a good yeah it, it, it at the time the way the game was played too there was you know 150 rotations a game at one point like it was yeah, out wow. of uh, yeah we were averaging it was probably an average of 145 per game, I think, in, the, in that year. It was just on, off, on, off constantly. And you, on the that was on game day, that was one of my roles sometimes was, you know, managing rotations. And it was just, uh, yeah, your head was spinning. I don't know how the players could handle it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Would you have one guy looking after each line when it's that volume or was, uh, was your role look after all we rotations? We basically had a, we had a, a plan at the start of the game. And we knew this is, you know, this player at the three-minute mark, this guy, these guys are going to come off. Then these and guys. The players know that for each quarter? Play, players would know at the start of the quarter. And then after, once it started, then it was it was Reset. just based, based on their, it was based on their GPS because they'd have um, uh, red flags that had come up on their live GPS when they hit a certain um, threshold. Of Specific to their 
uh, uh, game average or yeah specific to what they um uh what we knew that they could handle i suppose from past uh games there you know that it'd be what their total amount of uh, i think it was meters per minute over a certain period and once they got to that you know we we knew that they need to be rotated because they were that's that they wouldn't be able to maintain that intensity any longer depending on the players the midfielders could handle it more but you know there might be seven every seven to eight minutes we'd be rotating guys on and off the bench um just trying to keep them fresh yeah 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 awesome and that and it worked for injury prevention but then like you mentioned the performance side of things so yeah. the coach had to get involved what about the players did they start to yeah they, they, they definitely they'd go on because you every session every training session we'd post their results um so they could see and so and even in training then they they once we had it live they'd come over and you know check where they're at and <laughs> uh, especially yeah. Yeah. I mean, the guys who were coming back from injury it was really important because they have uh targets that we would aim for them to hit during a session and so we'd be check constantly checking them throughout the session they might most of the time we try and get it just through football and it was just yeah. you know any additional work at the end of the session if they hadn't hit those targets we would top them up um, at, the, at the time, you and Stuart Graham, you guys created this this model. Was was another sport doing it in the off season that you researched and you heard about it, and then you made it your own and made it AFL specific. Was another AFL club doing it? Was was no. there a really high hammy history of injury? Like, what was the motive to um, try this out? The you know, hamstring injuries. Yeah, it's always the number one injury in AFL, so it's something that we just wanted to be the best at. I think and. Um, it was, and I knew that from my experience that uh, running high speed, running at sprint distance repetitively, and particularly running above probably ninety five percent of your max velocity, um, was where most of the benefits were made. And but I had history; I used it before in the past, and I didn't think um, the reason I wanted to do this is because it was hard to control. What players did or you didn't quite know exactly where they were at without gps you're yeah. pretty much just guessing a bit yeah. and we wanted to make sure we weren't doing that and then that enabled us to once we had that data then we, i could go to burjo and he would then believe in it and trust it because prior to that you know it's risky for him to go oh we're going to run flat out sprints at the end of a training mid-season and <laughs> <laughs> but once he knew the data was supporting it and you know, proof was in the pudding, really, and we 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 could do it and safely push guys that fast, consistently all the way through the year. And so, you were, were they getting exposure to above ninety five percent, and and that and then wind them down, or was it actually holding ninety five percent for a period of meters? Uh, it depended on where they were at. They had we had two. Um, we were looking at basically two different metrics. So we'd have a, a volume metric where we look at for that total distance above um uh we had uh, i think it was 20 uh, 7.1 meters per second i think it was their zone six so um anything they had a, a distance each week they need to get um for their zone six and then if they didn't get that that was one category that we would top them up with like we, we'd know we, we used to have like a four-week rolling average and we'd know when they're starting to if they were sometimes they'd be getting too much we'd have to back them off and take them out of drills and that because otherwise they would get injured um yep. and then otherwise we'd have to just add a little bit of volume it might be 
50 meters or 100 meters and usually they get it in a session just through training and in drills yep and uh, were they told at the start you're you're behind a little bit like get, you know, yep. in, in this out, and they, yep. that gets intent yeah try and get it in your training and um, then at the end if it didn't happen we just yeah do one or two uh 50 meter sprints or flying 20s at a time which yep. would and i'd give them a time to hit like it might be their flying 20 section i'd time them and say look i want you to cover this in I knew what their max would be and I'd be like, if say their max was, I don't know, 2.4 seconds for 20 metres, I'd tell them to go at about 2.6 or 2.7, which I, I really knew what those times meant in terms of speed. Um, I could, yeah. you, you could tell exactly that. Yeah, that'd be eight metres a second if they ran it. I think it was 2.69 or 2.7, it was eight metres a second. <laughs> you go, okay, just do two after that. If you do two of them, it's going to equal that 50 metres. And you're watching it live as well, so you can, you get that feedback anyway. Yeah, uh, but then we had the you know max velocity they had to hit. Um, we wanted them to hit ninety five percent of their peak velocity um, at least um, once a month. They had to do that, um, and above ninety percent once a week. Uh, sorry, twice a month for 90, 95 and once a week for above ninety percent. Um, so, yeah, if they so that was probably the one. Um, that was the tougher one to sometimes get, uh, especially with guys who had histories of hamstrings. But we, were, um, and coming back from rehab, it was critical. We we we'd monitor that all the way through, and they'd set targets every session toward to hitting um, their zone six targets basically and their max speed as they go. And yeah, that was it, once you did it, they, it worked so well. It was great. You could really trust it. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Thanks so much for for sharing that. Well. That's We're right. going for the, the, the lighter yeah. side now of uh, of the podcast. This is a bit of a, a get to know you, Jared. So it's uh, yeah, no fun for the Patreon members. Uh, yeah. Which movie or TV series impacted you the most and why? And this doesn't have to be anything to do with S and C. Oh, movie. Uh, probably like something like Rambo. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> Remember the Sylvester Stallone movies like Rambo and Rocky and stuff back in the day? Used to feel good movie. Yeah. Yep. Love yeah. it. Favorite inspirational quote or life motto? Um, oh. <laughs> You've got me there. Uh, it doesn't have to be bang on with the quote, but it can be just yeah. You know, um, a philosophy of oh, I don't know. Um, mm, yeah, I can't ask. I can't think. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a long one, mate. I'll come back to it. Pass. I'll come back to it. Yeah. This one's an easy one. Uh, well, it's not easy, but in your work life, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Uh, my pet peeves? Oh, I hate it when things get done in a way that's dangerous, I suppose. And if someone's yeah. about to, if someone's going to get injured or whatever, it, yeah, I can... I have got angry before at that, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, probably overreacted a couple of times um, from that. Because <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think uh, yeah, having when you, I suppose, when you've been running a program before, and injuries are sort of like always in your head. I don't want to get them. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was you probably, and you want to try and prevent it as much as you can. Yeah, 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 makes sense. Um, what's your favourite way to spend your day off? Um, 
Coping pretty well, of course. Uh, yeah, I love playing golf and I love surfing. Um, so, yeah, um, they're probably playing golf probably recently has probably been pretty good, pretty relaxing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, spending time with the family. Now I've got two young kids. So, yeah, at least hanging out with them. Although now you can't really do much apart from hanging out at home. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully it gets better for us. And yeah. uh, favourite holiday destination and why? Hmm. Um, where was it? Um, Noosa, I love going there. Uh, if you're talking about Australia, we got married up there and just it's always a great, great spot to go. Um, and outside of that, I reckon uh, the Maldives. Um, went yeah, to the Maldives yeah. for honeymoon and that was yeah awesome yeah really good <laughs> yeah it's a good combination yeah yeah the, the Maldives is outstanding like if you, yeah I want to go there again as good as the photos and the videos you see oh, yeah it's just yeah it's ridiculous it's yeah it's really clean as well and like it's just beautiful yeah yeah awesome yeah. mate well thanks so much for, for jumping on and sharing your experiences and um and, and stories amongst what, what worked for you, your learnings and everything. I really appreciate the, the honesty, mate, and, and the time as well. It's been nearly two hours, so. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're on. Editing. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, luckily that's not my role, but. <laughs> um, yeah, what are you excited for for, for 2021? What, what, what are some big things happening with Sydney or um, grammar um, school or with the family? What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think um, uh, looking forward to um, hopefully getting back to sport at some stage. It doesn't it looks like um, this year's a write off at the moment. We just yeah. Uh, so hopefully start of next year we're back into doing some competitive sport, which would be good. Um, gives a bit more excitement at, at work and something to to train people for, uh, which yep. is always always helpful. Um, personally, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm um, I'm enjoying living in in Sydney at the moment. We live near the beach up here, so even though it's lockdown, it's probably probably the best place to be. Like we can walk to the beach and um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Lifestyle is good at the moment. I'm glad I'm I'm glad I'm still employed. I know that um, yeah, a lot of people aren't, especially in sport. So it's yeah, it's probably pr privileged just to I feel a bit lucky that I'm I am and yeah. Um, that's probably the, the good thing about working in, in a school now. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I got in at the right time. Uh, Absolutely. yeah, 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 but, um, I'm sure, um, I'm sure sport will, yeah, come back soon and yeah, actually looking forward to the AFL finals in the next couple of days, uh, next couple of weeks should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it should be two massive games. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, um, well, it could be. I think I'm pretty. I think Port will, will definitely win. Um, they looked yep. awesome in their last game. I think, although the Bulldogs will be tough. Um, and Geelong, Melbourne. Yeah, I don't know. That's could go either way. I think. Yeah. I think okay. Geelong need. Yeah, I reckon if Geelong could get Tom Stewart back, um, although it made a difference with um, Tui back last week, he made a big difference to them. But yeah, they need to fix their last quarters. <laughs> Yeah, if it's too long for who, who are you tipping? Who's yeah. your no. who's your heart's been too long still? I'm happy. I'm happy either way. Um, <laughs> you can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> Good.
good yeah, mate. Yeah, long, long lost last year, so I, I sort of hope they win. But um, yeah, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will enjoy. Yeah, awesome, mate. What might win though? I feel like they they might have just uh, got everything right at the right time. Yeah. Their players are back. They're fit and firing, and um, yeah. they play the right brand, don't they? Yeah, and they're in. They're going to be in Adelaide this week, so probably a fair chance they'll win that. And yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nah, awesome, mate. Really yeah, appreciate you jumping on. No worries, mate. I uh, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, for inviting me. To be honest, no, it's good. It's good to um, have a chat about all that, and you know, enjoy uh, thinking about what you know, all those experiences. Yeah. Helps yeah, you. it's good to reflect. Yeah. Good to yeah. reminisce, and yeah, and uh, especially talk to someone like yourself that's worked across so many different sports and the different you know travel components that happen with it. But also, like you said, thinking back to what the degree teaches you, the demands of the sport, and mm. and having uh, an approach on how do you how to go about it, and, yeah. uh, and how the sport's grown as well, the the industry with departments and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how that is. Uh, I think um, working across. Everyone, a lot of people used to ask me, oh, was it hard going from into a different sport? But, yeah, I never really felt like it was. It was always just stick to the fundamentals and principles and you're right pretty much. Yeah, yeah it's the same. Humans are humans. and, and Yeah. They're, yeah, they're exactly. Yeah. For sure. I think, awesome. yeah, but having that really, I don't know, I can't stress enough how important it was to have an athletics background and or understand um, that side of training just – yeah, made a made a big difference. It still does. So, I'm enjoying yeah. actually actually getting to coach athletics now. It's good, good little uh, change up. Mm. Yeah, you're heading up the program there, so you're yeah, not just, it's not just the physical component, but you're there, your coach. You're, yeah, yeah. So yeah, John John Quinn's been assisting me, which is funny. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah. He actually got me the job, um, but he didn't have time to do any more work, but. Um, he yeah he's one of our athletics coaches here and uh Quinny's great so it's 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 fun having him around that's awesome i didn't know that yeah he's back now isn't he he's done his quarantine done his time and he's yeah i think so yeah i think i don't know if he's in melbourne or he's back in sydney he's probably back in sydney because he's working he's got a few he he does he's got a business in melbourne so i don't know how he's going to manage that back and forth but yeah Yeah. he's he's a busy man does a lot of stuff yeah love it yeah yeah awesome, I'll, I'll let you to i'll leave you to it but uh thanks again and we'll speak soon no worries thanks mate see you jack cheers jack ciao thanks for tuning in guys uh if you miss the start of that chat make sure to watch the very beginning uh, we discussed jared's uh, career from his passion uh, in the industry and in athletics and how that got him all the way through to working in numerous afl clubs cricket high performance tennis uh, Celtics. So it was, it was a great um, chat around S&Cs, but also some practical tips for, for athletes. So make sure to tune in. The podcast will be live in uh, eight weeks or so time. We'll, we'll launch that podcast and we'll uh, post on our socials when, when we do. Um, but for the time being, it's now living on our YouTube channel. So you can go back and watch that chat if you missed the live segment our next chat will be this thursday at 8 p.m with michael riscatelli the brisbane lions and sons player so if you want to tune in for that one make sure to subscribe to our youtube channel thanks for tuning in guys till next time if you enjoyed this episode and want even more our academy is for you 
The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian at Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us. Awesome. So he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful. Plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was: you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah, certainly yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment. It would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, 
there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.